Good evening, Larry, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jason. I'm so stoked to be with you here. Yeah, yeah, and I'm thrilled to be with you tonight. We're recording this tonight. And for the audience, uh, just to let you know, this is another episode of Talking to Cool People with Jason Frizzell after dark, which means that uh, here on the East Coast, where I am here in Brooklyn tonight, it is 920, and we've got some alcohol. So Larry, before you even introduce who you are, what are you drinking on the episode tonight? Well, I just cracked in a brand new bottle of, it, you know, it's Tuesday night, right? Taco Tuesday. Taco Tuesday. I love it. So tequila, baby. Oh, I love so, it. What kind of tequila? I've got Herradura Ultra Añejo. So I like the clear stuff, the agave, the good stuff. Kind nice. of an issue on the bottle. So I just cracked it open, poured it. And uh, when you give the thing, I will uh, clink with you, baby. Yeah, well, we're going to do that right now once I just share with the audience really quickly what I'm drinking. I'm drinking Akashi Japanese whiskey. It's delicious. It's very smooth. I'm drinking it neat. And as I was telling Larry before we started recording, all of our uh, decent glasses are in the, wa- in the dishwasher, so I'm drinking out of a coffee mug. <laughs> it's not a full coffee mug, by the way. That would make for a really bad episode, but it's a nice little maybe like a two finger splash in here. And I'm sure we'll do a couple refills as we go along. So the other thing I want to point out for those who are listening is that I'm, you know, Larry and I are looking at each other right now via virtual meeting. He's got a shirt that says Trejo's tacos, like Danny Trejo from Machete and from Breaking Bad. And it is, your shirt is really fucking cool. Hecho in Los Angeles, where I am. Exactly. So with that, Larry, let's kick it off. So let's clink first. Cheers. Cheers to you, man. Let's have a, have a quick drink, and here we go. Mm-hmm. So, Larry, let's kick it off. Yeah. First things first. By the way, no, oh, you... no salt, just neat. Oh, I love it. That's great. So, first things first, let's kick off with an introduction, and I believe you're uh, being joined by another special guest tonight, so introduce yourself, where you are in the world, and whatever you'd like to share, and then I'd love if you'd introduce a special guest that's with you as well. Sure. I'm Larry Kay here in Los Angeles, Los Angeles, and uh, I create and produce media about dogs. Dogs. So I perform, I write books, and uh, have this very popular Facebook page called Positively Woof with two million fans. And our mascot is my little pooch here named Spider. He's a six-year-old Australian cattle dog. I met him four and a half years ago on a movie set. I I, I make videos with shelter dogs to help Mm -hmm. them get adopted. And on this particular day, we were making this 4th of July film, and the shelter brought out 12 dogs. And we began this process of trick training and making this 4th of July film. Well, there was this one dog who was especially rough. This Australian cattle dog that they had named Spider. <coughs> and you could barely touch this guy. I mean, yeah. he, had, he had a history, been adopted, given up, and, you know, could have been a death row dog. But fortunately, the shelter had orphans of Southern California here in Van Nuys, not far from my house. Uh, they pulled him off a death row. Wow. And so at, in the finished film, Spider was the dog who didn't get adopted because all he could do was sit for, you know, a couple of seconds. And yeah. fortunately, we were able to get that on tape. 
in the Fourth of July film, while the other dogs, they could sit and pose and do a few tricks. So naturally, they all got adopted right away. Because what I'm about is the single biggest reason homeless dogs don't get adopted is lack of training. Yeah. I them to flip it around. It's like, well, what if we train them like movie dogs? What if inside of every homeless dog, there's this undiscovered movie star? And that ain't so far-fetched because actually 75% of all the dogs that you see in the movies were once homeless. They were at shelters or relinquished in some way. They weren't purebred, you know, I mean, for every Lassie, there are three Benjis. You know, yeah. Yeah, very cool. So welcome, Larry. Welcome, Spider. So if we hear barking, that's because we have a guest who only communicates via barks. So you, may hear, you may hear Spider talking to us tonight, which will be fantastic. Spider, I'm looking at Spider on the Zoom meeting, or I'm seeing he's a very, he's a cutie, so I'm glad you guys could join us tonight. So a tradition on the show, Larry, is first thing, I will explain to the audience how we know each other. And then the next, well, I'm going to surprise you with the next thing. So Larry and I know each other from Heroic Public Speaking, which for those who listen to the show, which hopefully is all of you, I've, taught, I've had quite a few guests on there because guess what? People that are really good at public speaking make really good podcasts guests and have a lot of interesting things to talk about. And they're all my friends. So I get them on and we have good conversations like this. So that's how Larry and I know each other. So Larry. To give you props on that, Jason, I mean, you've been such an organizer in that amazing community, in that room. I mean, the value for me, uh, having now been with Heroic Public Speaking now for two plus years, Mm -hmm. is the room. I love the room. I mean, you met most amazing speakers doing all kinds of stuff from around the country and internationally. Yeah, no, it is. It's very true. And I've, I've expressed my love and gratitude for the ports on the show before I've had a, like I said, a lot of people on it. I've got a bunch of people on it. So Larry, we have a tradition on the show where, uh, and this was inspired actually by our mutual friend, Michael Hudson, Love it. Uh, where he had mentioned something to me, not on the podcast, but we were just having a conversation about his first impression of me. Michael, so we have a, Michael's a good friend, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm really now intrigued. Yes, so <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to give each other our first impressions of each other, and since it's my show, you get to go first. So, Larry, what was your first impression of me when we when we met? Uh, you were in a room. I remember my experience of you was you were quiet, and <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and you were one of the guys I didn't know. Uh, and so I remember saying, ah, I got to get to know this guy, this quiet guy. And it's like, oh Lord, was I wrong? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say, that may be the first time in my whole life that I've ever been described as quiet. (laughs) Okay. Oh, well that, I, I love this question and thank you, Michael, for inspiring it because these are the times where I'm like, whoa, that's not what I was expecting. Um, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. <clears throat> the other thing is, I, I think our first uh, conversation was about sports, possibly. Yeah, I believe so. so. I thought, oh, well, you know, he's, he's, he's a quiet sports betting jock. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because... None of those three are really true. Nice. 
You're a terrible judge of character, Larry. You're a terrible read. I am. I am. Ernest um, Hanley said every writer, which I am, every writer needs a <laughs> shockproof bullshit detector. That's I ain't got one, buddy. I can see that. That's amazing. Oh, I'm, I'm dying. That's, that's, that's so good. Um, so my first impression of you is when we met in December of 2018, because if you remember our cohort, I was, and, and I think you were a fellow in our cohort. I wasn't there in November because I went to Israel for work. So I actually missed. That's our why first you session. were quiet. <laughs> that's, exa- that's exactly why I was quiet because I was intimidated. Very, very intimidated to walk into that room <coughs> and not know anybody. And everybody's like four days ahead of you. And also a lot of these people are like speaking and 30,000 a speech. And you got this guy, Larry, who's like best-selling author. I'm like, what? I'm like in the corner, but then, you know, I don't even think you have to get a drink in me. My first impression of you, and I don't remember if it was that um, afterwards or we actually got a chance to connect inside of HPS, but the way I would describe Larry, and I was describing you to somebody else today about who I was going to be interviewing tonight is you see Larry and he's one of those people you just, you see him and you're like, that's a, good dude. And then when you actually get to know Larry, he's even better than you'd ever expect. Like I, I would honestly, you're one of the, you have one of the biggest hearts of anybody I've ever met. Like everything about you exudes, you're like an all, to me, you're like an all heart person and I'm, I'm working on heart. I'm good on the brain, but I'm more of a brain person than a heart person. I'm, you know, working on more of the balance, but you're just the guy who comes from the heart. Everything you do feels heartfelt. The kind of work you do, uh, when you're speaking, which we'll provide links at the end of the show, like there's videos of Larry speaking, um, you're just a real heart guy, which I, I, I love. So like, you're one of those people, like you meet him, you're like, yeah, Larry's a great dude. He's an amazing guy. Great speaker, does great work in the world. And it just comes from the heart almost all the time. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So enough of the flattery. Now we're going to pick on each other for the next <laughs> hour because that's too much feelings and emotions. Let's, let's, let's remove so, Larry, are you ready to have a, have a fun conversation? Amen. And bro. drink some tequila. All right. First question for you, Larry. What's something that you nerd out about? Oh, man. Besides dogs, um, baseball. Yeah. I totally nerd out about baseball. So, uh, I'm a San Francisco Giants fan mm-hmm. living in Los Angeles. All right? Mm. Now, here's where it gets interesting. I grew up a Los Angeles Dodgers fan living in Los Angeles hating the Giants and could never imagine in my lifetime that I'd be a Giants fan. But I lived in the San Francisco Bay Area for many years. And through that, I had a very close friend, (laughs) may he rest in peace. And he was a season ticket holder and he used to take me to games. And in that trip to and from the game and during the game, you know, it just became a bonding experience. And through that, I became a fan. And then when Steve passed in uh, February 2001, no, February 2002, February 2002 uh, I just felt this hole in my heart and have always remained connected to Steve through baseball. Mm. Uh, so I totally geek out on baseball, San Francisco Giants. Um, today, the uh, the sports porn I was looking at today was uh, 
uh, they were talking about, you know, who is likely to uh, get a Hall of Fame uh, bid? And they were talking about, you know, you uh, are you Yankees, Mets? No. Oh, no, no. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Minnesota sports fan. I'm a Twins fan. So the Yankees are that. Yankees are my least favorite team. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you can only appreciate this then as a fan rather than, I mean, as a fan of the game rather than as yeah. a fan of the Yankees. But, sure. you know, in that playoff game, Yankees versus Oakland, uh, Yankees winning one to nothing um, uh, uh, and uh, a big screaming double was hit. The runner on first, Jason Giambi, runs all the way around the diamond to home and is going to make it. And Derek Jeter comes out of nowhere and spears this way errant throw that blew past the cutoff man. And he backhand flips it to the catcher, Jorge Posada, who perfectly applies the tag a quarter of a step before Jason Giambi touches home plate. And what so year was I, that? Pardon me? What, that was in the early 2000s? Yeah, I'm trying to remember, trying to remember when. Yeah. yeah late, and one of, one of your listeners is going to be able to let us yeah. know when that was. But um, as they were considering uh, Jeter for, that, for the Hall of Fame, you know, that, that play flashed in, into my mind. And then I read down in the article, and they start talking about the play. They call it. Oh the, man! They call it the flip because Peter flipped. You know the ball yeah. back. It's an amazing play. Just Google Jeter flip. And yeah, and we'll do it. Get a video. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's good timing because I just saw that Jeter got elected to the Hall of Fame like one vote away one vote away from unanimously, which is uh, which is almost unheard of. Wow. Wow. No, that I didn't know. Yeah, it was today, actually. Him and, him and Larry Walker. So this was before the vote was announced then? Okay. Okay. You just broke news to me here. Thank you for yeah. letting me know. Larry yes. Walker's in too? Larry Walker, yeah. Glad to hear that. Colorado Rockies. That's what Colorado I Colorado Rockies. That's right. Yeah, uh, so I am. That's what I geek out on baseball. What about yeah. you? Um, I. Sports-wise, I'm an uh, NFL guy, NFL, Minnesota Vikings. Uh, you, guys, you guys went into the playoffs, and what counts for you is, did well, they didn't get farther than, than Green Bay. No, started. well, Green Bay was a number two seed, and so they got a bye. So the Vikings actually won uh, in overtime against the Saints, an incredible game. Then they got blown out by the 49ers, yeah. 27 to 10, but it was, it was ugly. Like, they... They, they couldn't get anything going. So sports-wise, I nerd out on football, and I specifically nerd out on fantasy football. So I play, uh, I play in three leagues. I run, one of, I run a league, and then I play in two other leagues with my buddies, and then I do daily fantasy sports on FanDuel. I run a, uh, like a yearly uh, daily fantasy sports league for um, NFL. So that's, that's my thing. I, lo- I, I grew up loving baseball, and so- I played baseball, and I love baseball, but I don't – I don't love it that much anymore. Like I don't watch regular season baseball anymore. It's just not that interesting to me. So, um, um, so my first impression of you as as a jock, <laughs> maybe couldn't be further in the truth from some respects, but it, maybe we got into a sports conversation. And we did. I mean, that's yeah. I'm oh, a. You probably said Minnesota at some point. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a jock in that I played tennis in high school. Like I played hockey every day after school. I played. I was oh, really wow. good. At, yeah, I was really good at baseball. Like I, I'm a I was a jock in high school, and they're like, I'm a good athlete. Yeah, but it's not like I'm a jock now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it. I wish. Yeah, I love I, sports. I was a swimmer in high school, and my nickname was Stone. And it wasn't because you know I smoked any hooch. Yeah, because I was slow and sunk like a rock, sunk like a stone. Yeah, I sank like a stone. (laughs) That's funny. I was a sprinter, man. You know, uh, they put they put me in the four hundred freestyle uh, once, and uh, I came in last, probably about three hundred ninety nine (laughs) yards. All right. Well, enough, enough with this, enough of the swimming then, right? You, you said, okay, I'm probably done with this. Uh, right. Larry, what's something that's inside of your comfort zone that might be outside of somebody else's. And I'm going to caveat this because I'm not going to give you the layup of public speaking because that's just too obvious. So what's something else or spending all day with dogs? I mean, I think some people like that, but some people that would be really scary for them. So what's the thing besides those two things? Well, the layup for me, Jason, is uh, dogs, you know, and uh, the uh, the other maybe more challenging layup, and I don't know if we want to get into this now, is uh, I've been very active in a men's organization uh, since 2003 called the Mankind Project, mm-hmm. and what a layup for me is, is uh, sitting in circle with other men and um, discussing our lives and trying Mm -hmm. to support and mentor and better one another and help each of us uh, live our lives on mission while clearing away the crap that I put in the way of, that I get in my own way of from being able to be that guy. Wow, that sounds cool. Is that a national organization? Yeah, they've been around since 1985, mankindproject.org. And um, uh, I've been doing uh, a a variety of stuff there, a number of their trainings and staffed and so forth. Uh, In fact, uh, this coming Saturday, it's now Taco Tuesday. This coming Saturday, uh, I'm hosting a Los Angeles-wide leadership meeting in my home. Uh, We're going to be having the meeting in my studio. I've turned my garage into a video studio, into a training video studio. And uh, they asked me if we could uh, uh, meet in my studio. No, very cool, Larry. One of the greatest things about this show is, one, I I literally get to talk to cool people. And for the people that I kind of know, and I think we know ourselves, we know each other medium well, but not amazingly. We haven't spent that much time. Is I get to learn amazing things about people that I already respect and admire that we just have never talked about. So, um, yeah. kudos on that. I think that, you know that's something that you know. I spent. I think you know a little bit about my background. I spent 19 years in in tech sales, and I, so no, it's not really. Yeah, so it's not really a place that you practice much in the way of vulnerability. <laughs> um, no, not a bad no, thing at all. Yeah, you know, the, the the what the stereotype of masculinity is yeah. you know tough it out nothing's bothering me I got right. it all handled if you toss me a curveball I will hit it out of the park 
Yeah, no, and that's exactly right. And that's always been my method of operation. And through work with my coach and, you know, self-work and stuff, I'm, I'm, I'm finally at the age of 42, I feel like I'm getting a little more in touch with the heart part. Amen. And it's taken me a long time because it's, uh, it's not something that I've ever really been comfortable with. I think now I'd be very comfortable sitting in a, in a circle of men and talking about, you know, like vulnerable things. But a year and a half, two years ago, no way. No freaking I'd be like, I'd be, I'd be like, I'd be like, why, why am I here? I'm out of here. Like yeah. this feelings don't matter. Your feelings don't matter. Just go do the stuff and take care of business. Well, you acknowledged me, you know, at the beginning for your first impression of me was the hard stuff. Yeah. And that some of that comes from nature and the other of it comes from nurture, meaning mm-hmm. this organization being able to, you know, to sit in circle with other men and sometimes women as well. Yeah. And to be able to, you know, express authentically and really become literate around that and trust that by talking about this stuff in a safe way, I'm not going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, what I think is actually really cool about the time that we're living in here in 2020 is it's, it's, it's time and it's okay for guys to be more vulnerable and to share their feelings and to be more authentic and not have to have to or feel the need to bottle it all up and you actually get to express yourself. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that one of the causes or synergies of male dysfunction right now, and that includes mass murder, Mm -hmm. is that kind of isolation and ultimately fear of being able to talk about the scary stuff. Yeah. And um, what's a shame is that that connection is so easy, powerful, and life-changing, and potentially society-changing. So yeah, love hearing what you're saying, you know, about moving from tech sales to being able to say from a year and a half ago, being able to open up and articulate your experiences and even yeah. moments. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And um, now we're going to flip that question for you. And so the question for you, Larry, is what's something that is outside of your comfort zone that might be inside of somebody else's? And while you're thinking about your answer, I'm going to pour myself another little drink. Here. Uh, thank you for that. Drive. Yes. Well, the first, ah, thank you. I just took a sip. The first Mm -hmm. thing, the immediate hit that came up for me that's outside of my comfort zone is having a television series Mm. about what I do with dogs. Now, currently, my partners on my Dog Tricks book, Chris and Suhey, Parandi and I are actually pitching such a television series Mm -hmm. that includes performing with dogs because they're the America's favorite stunt dog performers. I mean, they live in a 43-foot RV with 13 formerly homeless dogs, rescued dogs, touring the country, performing around the country. And so we're making the show about what they do and what I do with homeless dogs, which is mm-hmm. 
teaching them dog tricks to get adopted. So we're combining those two platforms to really make a very special series. I'm very excited about it. And yeah. uh, by the way, Jason, um, this is uh, news now. You're, you're, you're making news here on your show. Excellent. Uh, because this is the first time that I've spoken about it other than in a completely confidential sign the non-disclosure agreement kind of setting. Thank and, you, Larry. I appreciate uh, that. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. You got a scoop, baby. I got a so, scoop. So what's, what's scary to me is um, having a television series. And other, for other people, what's in their wheelhouse is they're, t- they're TV professionals. Right. And sometimes I will hold them on pedestals. Like, wow, they've got the magic. They've got it all figured out. And they, whatever they say must be the truth is gospel, is, you know, is the correct way to do it. And all I have to do is get out of my way and follow their rules. Yeah. Now, the danger for me in that is I lose my sense of self and the whole reason that they would come to me because I have my own way of expressing in the world. Yeah. And so, so it's an interesting dance between finding out what the market wants, what the experts want, and listening to their advice, but only in a good way. You know, as we learn in heroic public speaking, ask for specific coaching, ask for specific rehearsal notes, you know, just don't say, Hey, here I am. Critique me. Right. Say, ask for a a maximum of three specific things. Yeah. Which isn't, which isn't a methodology that most people are comfortable with in giving feedback. They're like, and then they'll also give you in feedback to give you a ton of their own opinions. Amen. Which yeah. isn't always that helpful because my opinion may, is just literally my opinion. And the person who next door might think it's the greatest thing ever. And I might think it's crap. So if right. you listen to people's opinions versus, Hey, Larry, I thought, and what Larry's referring to, I'll just expand upon this is, Hey, I'm doing this television show. I'd love your feedback. I'd like to understand. Did you feel connected to me on the screen? Did it, was the, were the shots, were the shots conducive and made you feel the thing? And then I can say to you, Hey, Larry, I really felt like you were connecting to me via the screen versus, yeah, I really liked it. And you know, there was a, you know, like, it's just not that useful. So I've, I've actually taken that into my work when I ask for feedback about things of really asking for specific feedback and it makes a world of difference because it, it's actionable. You can actually, you can actually go do something with it. Yes. Yeah. Really well said. Really well yeah. said. Yeah, that's been, that's been a game changer for me. Learning that rehearsal rule in, in at HPS. Yeah, we get this seven stage uh, rehearsal process. You know that takes you, you know, all the way from just raw I, raw idea, raw, raw words on a page <laughs> to finished performance. Yeah, and yeah. I just love the iterative process you know i and i love that it's not just memorizing a script and delivering it better but it's memorizing a script and being able to communicate it with audiences and receive the kind of feedback that you just described 
and to be able to integrate that in a good way that's authentic to me as well as that's connecting with you, the audience. Yeah, very cool. Love that. Very cool. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing that and best of luck in, in the pitches. And I, I hope that I will be seeing you on the, in the uh, small screen soon. Thank you, bro. And I, know, I know that I, and I know that I've seen some of the clients that you worked with, and I'm talking about your four-legged clients on the big screen. <laughs> I don't know specifically who they are, but I know they're out there. So um, thank yeah. you for all the work you do. And I'm also, as we will probably talk about, I'm also a dog lover. We have a dog. And uh, I grew up with a lot of dogs. And I, yeah, I think the work you do with uh, all that is really amazing. And my next question for you, Larry, is you are a speaker. And by the way, if you, you know, we'll, we'll add a, we'll add this to the show notes, but you know, Larry, when he speaks, generally you speak with spider. So it's an, yeah, it's an integrated speech. So, so what I want to ask you about speaking specifically is I'm going to give you five minutes Hmm. and I have the power to give you five minutes and you get to deliver a speech to the world. What would you give your speech on and why? But currently, uh, that the the platform that I'm about and my big idea right now is called Dog Tricks Save Lives. That they're not dog tricks aren't just frills for our amusement, for our entertainment, but that they actually for homeless dogs make the difference between life and death. Sometime, mm-hmm. you know, millions of dogs mm-hmm. are shelters, and only twenty percent of them make it out. In in some cases, yeah. And the single biggest reason that homeless dogs don't get adopted is lack of training. Well, I love taking a problem and flipping it around and saying, "Well, if this is the worst thing in the world, what if it's the best thing in the world?" And I'm not saying that homeless is, is the best thing in the world. Yeah. But I am saying, if we are homeless, how do we flip that around and pull the gift out of that despite the hardship? So the gift inside of, of homelessness, and I get to invent this, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is that this dog gets to become a movie star. Yeah. Gets to become Benji. Ben, you know, when Benji, uh, the movie came out, adoptions of shelter dogs spiked over the period of two years to an additional one million dogs. That's amazing. And you can argue one million lives were saved because Benji made it on the screen. Um. I guess about 10 years, I'm kind of losing track of time now. The Oscar winning Best Picture Award went to a movie called The Artist. Sure, I remember that dog, yeah. So uh, Jack Russell Terrier, right? Yeah, Uggy. Yeah, lived right here in the San Fernando Valley where I live. And somewhere I've got a shot of Uggy and me licking on each other. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, Uggy endorsed uh, my book, Life's a Bark. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, um, Uggy's, um, uh, the late Uggy, I should say, he was, you know, the, it was his third time getting adopted. Wow. And fortunately, the number three guy was the, my f- favorite movie dog trainer 
Omar von Muller. And, um, you know, Uggy was the first dog to have his paw prints uh, enshrined at Grauman's Chinese Theater. You know, oh, wow, that's, cool. that's so cool. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, I hope he gets his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at some point, as does Lassie and Rin Tin Tin. And I'm blanking on the name of a dog from the silent picture era, and the, which are the only three dogs enshrined mm. in the Walk of Fame. But yeah, Uggy, Uggy was, you know, a homeless dog, third time. You know, Spider. Wow, that's amazing. You know, Spider was a three strikes and you're out dog, you know, before, uh, you know, I pulled him off of it. Well, I didn't pull him off of death row. Pet Orphans pulled him off of death row. I met him on a, a movie set, as I was describing. He didn't get adopted. And a month later, you know, I came back. He was still at the shelter. I volunteered to walk him. And little by little, began to open up and he looked at me (laughs) (laughs) so i taught him some hand signals and he smiled so i decided i was up for a big challenge i brought spider home forever and he now knows more than 50 dog tricks so dog tricks save lives that's that would be something that i would love to speak about for five minutes you know, at some point, I would love to craft that into an 18-minute TED Talk. Yeah. Have you, have, you, have you pursued TED Talk? And is, it, is there, can you have a dog on stage on, at TED Talks? Uh, good question. Because you kind of have a limited area to work with, right? You have a red circle. I would have to, I would have to find a TED Talk that would allow Spider to uh, ramble the red circle. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to well, find Thank you for that idea. Well, I think you should. I think it's. I think it's such a, such an important topic for all of us animal lovers out here, and it's not something that really gets talked about that much. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of shelter things, but never the idea of that. The fact that it's the the tricks is this thing. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things that really, really gratifies me is. Our veterinarian says he's now a completely different dog. When I first adopted Spider, she needed three technicians just to examine him. She could not examine him, you know? And now he performed dog tricks in the waiting room. Yeah, amazing. Dog tricks saved his life. And I believe that dog tricks, you know, with this idea of dog tricks save lives, we perhaps might rescue them all. Yeah, very cool, Larry. Well, this is actually a good lead into the next question, or it's actually not really a question. This is the part of the show where I like to have the audience hear from you, really your journey to what's led you here today. And I don't necessarily mean Taco Tuesday here in 2020, but just generally, you know, what's led you to what you're up to today. And uh, you're welcome to share anything you'd like here. Thank you. Uh, starting, Starting some, you know, where you were born, your, your height and your weight when you were born, <laughs> your elementary school, your junior high, your college. No, like really, Larry, anything you'd like to share with us that you think would be interesting for the audience? Oh, thanks, man. Uh, I discovered in college as an undergraduate, which was at Berkeley in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. the Bay Area, that um, I was really into uh, community development 
social change even. Gee, surprise, mm-hmm. social change, Berkeley. Yeah, really, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the thing that really lit me up then was public policy, not what I do today. Yeah. And the public policy that I really got intrigued was communications, media. I saw the power that it had to be able to change minds, create community. So the, the piece that really got a hold of me in those years in college was, uh, and I took a lot of American history classes. I got to design my own major in college. Oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, I was taking history and cultural anthropology and rhetoric and public speaking. And yeah, I was on the debate team and, and linguistics and I mean, all kinds of stuff with words that I can see are the basis for my having evolved into being a writer and being a producer. So I got really interested in this idea of is social change, does it happen through our institutions or is, does it happen in our culture or both? Does change, be it social change or any kind of evolution, happen within our institutions or outside of our institutions? And that's often labeled in a historical way as progressivism, meaning through our institutions, Teddy Teddy Roosevelt, that is when the era that really begat that term, or populism, which happened after the Civil War. And right now in our society and in our cultures, we are facing that same question of populism, progressivism, pro-social... Beneficial social change versus what I would call shadowy social change. In this case, you know, the rise of some more per- pernicious forces. Yeah. That emanate not from our institutions, but from. <clears throat> you probably didn't expect that I was going to go there, Jason. That's fantastic. I love it. So I, I got really intrigued with that idea and community communications. As a vehicle for community development, ah, that really, that really intrigued me. So, um, but I realized, even though I had these great ideas and these wonderful policies and so forth, I couldn't create anything that was worthy of anybody's attention. And as our colleague and even mentor, Neen James, says, yeah. attention pays. She has this yeah. great book, you know, Attention Pays. So I, uh, I realized that if, it, if I was going to be doing community video, I couldn't produce my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> so after I went to Berkeley, I ended up going to junior college to learn television production. I went to, in Oakland to Laney Junior College and uh, learned television production. And then I end up going to grad school in Syracuse at the Newhouse School. Mm-hmm. And there, things took a really pretty radical turn. I got bit by the production bug. I loved making stuff. 
I was a graduate teaching assistant and I love the process of organizing the crews as a graduate teaching assistant to make these studio productions, live TV that went out on cable in real time that were exactly 28 minutes and 40 seconds every time. And I just love that model. And I did that for three years. And then moved to New York and ended up producing and teaching and writing and directing and editing. And um, little by little, started to find a spark in my own voice. And then uh, my then wife and I moved to back to California, back to the San Francisco Bay Area, where I was able to further discover my voice in children's media. Mm, children's media, like, like uh, PBS type material, like that sort yeah, of children's media? Like, like literally PBS. Mm. Uh, yeah, I wrote, um, when, I, when we were still in New York, I used to write uh, classroom films for the New York City Board of Education, uh, you know, their uh, TV channel, WNYE, and uh, make docu- TV documentaries that some of which would go out nationally. And then uh, when we moved back to the Bay Area, um, I found, I further honed my voice in, it was actually in animation. Oh, wow. And I used to travel from the Bay Area down to Los Angeles uh, when I was trained at Hanna-Barbera. And Mm -hmm. Bill Hanna was actually, the late Bill Hanna, may he rest in peace, was one of my mentors. Oh, oh, wow. And, um, you know, he, he, he taught me about gags. I mean, he and Joe, you know, Joe Bar- the late Joe Barbera, may he rest in peace. You know, they, um, they created Tom and Jerry, mm-hmm. which was, it wasn't really scripted. It was just gags. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> and, they, and they storyboarded it. You know, they didn't really skip scripted. The writers, they were called gag men, you know, because it was all guys. So gag mm-hmm. men. And then from that, they begin to be, be, be able to develop story arcs. And, you know, their breakthrough at Hanna-Barbera was developing, you know, primetime television. Yeah. Scooby-Doo is a Hanna-Barbera show, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 And I met Scooby, actually, you know, in a, <laughs> yeah. in, in, you know, in, in a real walkabout costume. I won't say it was a costume. I met Scooby. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and um, but and they they first developed the Flintstones and then the Jetsons and then I forget what else and then Scooby and are, is Scooby still being produced? So I think that I actually believe Scooby. I believe is coming back. I think they're reviving it. I saw a commercial or some something for it recently where it's like Scooby, welcome back, Scooby but not a live action. I believe they're going to bring the animation back. Like kind yeah. of what they've done to teenage, teenage mutant Ninja Turtles. Like it's all retro Very again. Cool. All the retros are cool again. Everything old is new again, baby. That's right. Yeah. So I, so I, so I went that path with um, TV cartoons and uh, the guy who is the uh, VP of animation uh, over at Hanna-Barbera, Mark Young, 
he, when uh, Hanna Barbera was sold to Ben Turner, Time Warner, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, uh, Mark Young uh, went over, left Hanna Barbera, and went over to MGM that was starting up a remake of The Pink Panther. Oh, I love The Pink Panther. Yeah. So um, uh, he brought me and then another co-writer, Debbie Todd, and I, uh, we were together as a team, and we got to write some cartoons for the, for the Pink Panther. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, it was, yeah, really such an honor. Best, best theme song of all time. Ah, the Mancini. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Do you know the tune, The Baby Elephant Walk, as well? No. I mean, I probably would know if I heard it. Well, I'll I'll do a bad imitation of singing it. Yeah. It sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. All right, enough. What's that from? So where would I have heard that from? Uh, I forget if it was in a movie or mm-hmm. that he just called it Baby Elephant Walk. Um, so, um, but yeah, Pink Panther theme. That What a great, great theme. Um, so, um, so from that, now this is now the early 90s, right? And computer i'm in i'm now back in the bay area and computer games is starting to happen so i got really fortunate to be introduced with a startup company um from some lucas arts mm-hmm. um veterans ron gilbert and shelly day who started up a children's computer game company with this new technology it was called CD-ROMs. No I've heard of it. Yeah, you've heard of it. You, you may have even played one of my games. I, <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have played many LucasArts games. Oh, well, did you play Monkey Island? Oh, my God, I played Monkey Island. I played all the Monkey Islands. I love Monkey Island. So that, did you write for Monkey Island? Oh, I wish. Oh, but, honestly, they, those, the jokes in that game are incredible. Amen. Yeah, so that's Ron Gilbert. I mean, he's, he's, he's a legend of that style of gaming. It's called adventure gaming, puzzle gaming, lock and key gaming. Meaning lock and key is you have to find the super duper, get through the super duper duka buka polygizmo by giving, you know, a clam. I can't remember what the puzzle was anyhow. Yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, crazy stuff. Yeah, very good sense of humor. So um, uh, Ron hired me because he saw my, you know, some of my TV stuff that I had done and uh, some other writing that he'd done that I'd done. And he really loved it. And uh, and to make a long story short, he taught me how to develop, how to create, how to design these uh, uh, adventure game puzzle, puzzle games mm-hmm. at Humongous Entertainment. And we created this game called Freddy Fish that went on to sell two and a half million copies with 75 awards and my career shot out of a cannon. You know, mm-hmm. suddenly I'm, I'm now rep by the William Morris agency and I'm now writing for the Muppets. I wow, mean, cool. Jason, 
I'd had a picture of Jim, the late Jim Henson on my bulletin board in front of me for years Yeah, before this happened. And it was, oh, my God, now I'm writing for my alter ego, Kermit. This is amazing. <laughs> An animal, you know, and all the rest of them. So I got to be the lead writer on the Muppet Treasure Island three CD-ROM set. And just so honored to have That's been awesome. in that experience. And then worked with Disney on all kinds of projects. And then it ended up segueing to Disney Internet and did some really cool stuff with them there, both ma- managing, producing, as well as writing and well as writing, creating. So that those are the two sides of me. I, you know, going back to my undergraduate, I had these visions of how I could see community development, team development, and I got to do that. And then I also have this creative streak, some of which was to use a Muppet term, really gonzo. And I got yeah. to combine those two brains, those two vibes to make this stuff. And so that was great. But in 2001, uh, the, uh, that version of the commercial internet, just that roller coaster ride, you know, slammed into a brick wall. shut down really quickly and uh i was at a job and you know unfortunately at the same time uh my marriage uh we had been together many years uh you know and also gone south Mm -hmm. and my uh, actually i'm going to use a better term because i i want to honor uh those people those listeners of yours who are on the south i don't like that we yankees use gone south as a derogatory term. I think that's very regionalist. Uh, just gone off the rails. <laughs> so hopefully, it, hopefully for those people who like to uh, ride on trains, that that's not offensive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, when the internet tanked in 2001, my marriage also tanked. And uh, then the following year, I ended up, moving from the Bay Area to here in Los Angeles and um, then really trying to figure out the big what's next. And so um, I had burned out on children's media. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in part because it somehow was associated with uh, my, my marriage falling apart. And um, uh, I, I needed to change, but I knew that strategically I needed to have keep one foot in it. So my first project in pet media was actually a children's DVD for preschoolers called Animal Wow. And it mm-hmm. sold very few copies, but it won a bunch of awards, was endorsed by the American Humane Association, No, anim- no Animals Were Harmed People. And uh, got picked up for distribution by PetSmart. But one of the hard lessons I learned then was, you know, people don't go into pet stores to buy things for humans. That's true. That is true. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, so that project tanked. But I got bit, Jason. Yeah. I, 
I got bit by the dog bug and I decided I want to do more of this. Yeah, it's cool. And the rest is history. There you go. And here we are today. Yeah. Well, you're a, you're a full-time dog guy now, if I'm not mistaken. I am. I am. I feel really blessed that um, I get to follow my passion. Yeah. Be on mission, you know, with this chapter of my career is a lot of it is to give back. Yeah. You know, so my emphasis on homeless dogs, shelter dogs, rescue dogs, helping people make a difference with their dogs is part of that is my gift back. Yeah. The blessed life I've had. Yes. That's awesome. Awesome. Larry question for you, actually a question for spider. Yeah. What is, what does he have to say? Does he have anything to say about this? He is so freaking mellow right now. I think I might have to, if, if I'm going to have any chance of getting him into this combo, I might have to rile him up a bit. And, uh, but he's just chilling. Oh, that's good. We'll let him. We'll let him relax. And I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's been working. Uh, working hard today. Yeah, he's. You know, he just took. He just took a uh, a toy out of my hand, and he's still as quiet as can be, just chilling on the on the toy. Actually, he's had a really hard day today. Because um, yeah. uh, we're setting up the studio. He's got a performance tomorrow in my studio here. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, my cousin, Richard Sherwood, Google him, is uh, Richard Sherwood, at Sherwood and uh, my, my mother's maiden name is Sherwood, and uh, Richard Sherwood, uh, drumdala.net. Uh, we're doing a music video, a few music videos over the next two days in my studio. He's an amazing drummer he creates this whole wall of drums and it's going to be tomorrow and the next two days in my studio we're going to be doing some music videos spider's going to be in one so uh we're going to do we're going to do a thing it's going to be a lot of fun very cool um so wrapping up on this section yeah i do have one question for you regarding spider and we could talk more about spider a little bit later but what it just crossed my mind and as i said it's my show i'm just going to improv it and throw this out to you what um, what's your go-to trick with spider? Like, if you were if you were gonna impress a girl or impress, <laughs> you, you, you know, a girl, you're going to some pitch or something where you're like, I got to break out spider and I's go-to move to help people go, wow, what's the move that spider does? Well, first of all, so that my girlfriend Jen doesn't get insulted, uh, it will be to impress a pitch. Yeah, uh, it will be to impress a pitch. It would never. Yes, of <laughs> Larry is a very is very happy with you, Jen. <laughs> he's he's madly in love with you. Yes, Amen, brother. Yeah, that was my mistake for breaking it up. It's nothing to do with you. Man. So the pitch. Oh, good. So um, uh, actually, I I will have a pitch here week after next. Uh, a uh, pretty well known uh, reality television production company is coming here because they're interested in the project that my partners Chris and Suhe Brandi and I are putting together and they're going to, we're going to spend an hour in my studio uh, next week, I believe. And um, the trick I would impress them with is Spider's favorite tricks. Mm -hmm. And he's got two. Uh, One is the big ball. You know, he'll, 
a big exercise ball, Spider will just jump on it with his forepaws, his front paws, and he will roll it around the studio all over the place. That's amazing. He's even invented his own trick. He will hop from the big ball onto the handlebar of a toy shopping cart. What? Oh, man. And he'll just trolley that across the studio. (laughs) So that is one of his two favorite tricks. And that's obviously always a crowd pleaser. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Form, uh, we start off with that, but he uh, he often when we when we will run out to perform and we run right for the big ball, he will <laughs> he has done this in live performances more times than I can tell you. He will leap right over the big ball and then just go start greeting the audience. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's where the pet, that's where the pets are. So Amen. right, yeah. yeah, smart man, yeah, smart dog, I should say, yeah. So his his other favorite trick is it's called footsies, and I will stand uh, with you know my legs spread apart, and he knows that as the signal to get between my legs and put his paws up on top of each of my shoes, and then from there I walk forward. We go in circles. We do this little dance together. We're going to do this in uh, Richard Sherwood's. We're going to probably do each of those tricks in Richard Sherwood's uh, music videos. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing videos of that and maybe seeing it live someday. That's super cool. Super cool, Larry. New York, baby. Yes. So you've been talking. I've had you talking quite a bit. And so this is the part of the show where I get to get on the hot seat and you get to ask me anything you would like to hear about from me. We'll keep it. Uh, we'll keep it fairly brief. Well, maybe I, I, it'll be me, so it won't be that brief. But um, yeah, yeah. Like Larry, what's what would it? What's uh, what would you like to ask me about? And while you're asking me, this also gives you a chance to refill your tequila if you need some. <laughs> uh, I love the question, Jason. Um, wow, what a unique question. Um, it's a live Jason AMA. Why are you doing this show? What feeds you? About yeah. Show. Great question. I've never answered this on the show yet. So why am I doing this show? So I'm going to give you a little bit of history first. Nice. And then I'll answer that. Growing up, if I could have done anything, I wanted to be Johnny Carson. Mm. I wanted to entertain and talk to amazing people. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much the celebrity part. I mean, I think as a kid, of course, celebrities are cool and everything and they're still, they still can be cool, but um, it was for me, it's like Kirby pocket might as well be Johnny Carson. Exactly. Exactly. By the way, way, you you go ahead. You answer that. No, go ahead, Larry. Go. Uh, Kirby pocket. The late Kirby pocket. uh, Late Kirby pocket. Outfielder. He was a center fielder for the twins. For the twins. Right. My favorite baseball player growing up, he was the hero. You know, they won the 87 and the 91 World Series, which I would have been 10 and 14. So talk about perfect age as a, as a guy, a sports guy who played baseball growing up. Amazing. Uh, I was, and it's also the last two championships any Minnesota sports team has ever had. So whole different, whole different topic that's not so, not so pleasant for me to talk about. Um, so 
uh, yeah, so I, it was like the idea of it just looked like so much fun to just have people talk to people about stuff. And I didn't realize at the time, you know, talk shows are all kind of script, not that scripted, but if you're a celebrity, you're, you're, uh, you know, your agent or your manager walks in and says, hey, Jimmy Fallon, here's the eight questions you can ask Brad Pitt. And it's got to be about once upon a time in Hollywood and da 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 da, which is all, it's fine. Totally, you know, like they're out, they go on these shows for a reason. It's for their career and for the movies. And it's part of the deal. Um, and so I didn't really understand it, but it was still fun for me because I've always been, and now this kind of leads to the show. You know, here I am, long time after my childhood. And I'm like, why not? Like, I'm a technology person. So that the tech part of podcasting is not hard for me. Like, is my sound perfect? No, but I know how to go, you know, get a little set up and, you know, know how to publish it and everything. I'm like, what's stopping me from doing this? I'm like, I want to do a podcast. And I was actually on a podcast. It's called Jim Jim's Reinvention Revolution. And it's about people that have reinvented their careers. And it actually has a focus on technology. So I was a perfect guest for it because I'm a technology guy and reinventing my career. So I did that. And this was in October of last year, of 2019. So not that long ago. And I remember talking to my coach and he's like, he's like, yeah, what, what, what are you up to? And, you know, a bunch of stuff. I'm like, you know what? I want to start a podcast. He's like, all right. He's like, when? And I'm like, I'm going to launch, Jan-. and I'm like, I'm going to launch January 5th. He's like, okay. Sounds good. What do you need from me? I'm like, nothing. I'm going to do this. Like, I don't, you know, I need a coach for a lot of things. I need to be held accountable for a lot of things and coaching. This was the thing. Once I decided to do it, like there was no going back. So I did. So I described this. I described this on another episode here a few weeks ago. But um, this podcast is now like we're recording this in the middle of January. It's been out for a couple of weeks and it has blown away my expectations in terms of the number of downloads, the feedback I get. I've had people reach out proactively that want to be on that. I don't know. Like it's, 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 right. it's going, it's been going so amazingly. And when people are like, Oh, like, how did you come up with this concept? And you know, where'd you come up with the questions and the artwork, the artwork, I um, hired somebody named Jordan Snodgrass. So if she's listening, you know, she did all my artwork. She's amazing. Yeah. Highly recommend her if you're looking for design work, nice super work. cool stuff. Really, really great. Jordan. Thank you again. And then the, the questions, and I don't know if you've ever had this in your career. I don't remember putting this together. Like it's like a blur for me. Have you ever had that experience before with any of your creative projects? Yes. And uh, my uh, belief in that, I call it greatness is easy. Yeah. And I don't mean that it's not hard work, but yeah. I mean when we do the hard work and we're in our greatness that we achieve our results. So greatness is easy. Yeah. So like the, the format of the show, like there's a million interview shows, but the questions that I ask, I literally don't remember getting them down onto paper. I don't, it was almost like I was inspired through whatever and they just kind of flowed through me. And I'm not, I don't consider myself a creative person. The story I have about myself is I'm not creative. I'm more of a doer. And so when suddenly, you know, I booked my first guest. And had this flow and people got to there like, hey, this is really fun. It was actually Michael Hudson was one of my first interviews that I ever did. And, you know, he's, you know, he's been, yeah, and he's done, you know, he's got a really great show himself. He's been on hundreds of podcasts, very accomplished. And I remember saying to Michael, I'm like, hey, man, like, I'm looking for feedback here. Like, I don't know what I'm, I don't know what the F I'm doing. He goes, 
keep doing what you're doing. This is, this is it. Like, this is good. Like, just keep doing what you're doing. So what inspired me to do the podcast overall is, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm the definition of a people person. Like you said, I'm you a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a 98% extrovert, no, which is, that. yeah. The Briggs Myers or the Myers Briggs? Myers Briggs. I'm a, yeah. I'm an E, a 98% E. Interesting. Which, which is a blessing in that I love people. Yeah. The curse in that the curse is that I'll be the guy standing at the bar at four in the morning if I'm having a good time because like, I, <laughs> and I, I actually had this conversation with our mutual friends, Chloe and Mike, huh. uh, one of the last nights at the Saul house in New Hope. Huh. And we were talking about this and I said, like, how do you keep doing it? And I'm like, it's because like people, I actually am absorbing all the energy from all these amazing people. And it just keeps me on my feet. So that's a, and that's a blessing and curse because the next day, you know, you're tired. But a combination of that, and then if you, you mean, do you know about the five? Yeah. Do you mean physically tired, or do you mean psychologically, emotionally tired? I almost never get psychologically or emotionally tired. Like it, I'm almost never like that. Physically, t- physically tired. Physically if tired. I'm physically tired, you know, obviously I get tired. We all get tired. But yeah. if I'm if I'm with somebody that I enjoy being with, I get so much of their <clears throat> I get so much of their energy that it keeps me on my feet, keeps me going. Like I can. I can uh, hang for almost forever. So, you know, combining my extroversion with, do you know the five love languages? I do. I do. I I believe strongly in that. I'm having a lot of them today. Yeah. Yeah. So I am a, uh, I am a 12, which is the highest you can get on quality time. So you combine my extroversion with the fact that like the way that people express love for me or that I like to have it expressed is through spending time together. Amen a podcast where I get to literally talk to my friends and people I don't know, but we, I, I literally am talking to cool people is like, it's, it's kind of like everybody who knows me well is like, this is like, this podcast is no surprise. Like this is my, this is my creation and I, I love every minute of it. So I hear, yeah. So I just started, started from scratch, not sure where it's going to go. And I'm doing it for fun because my commitment in life is to fun. And I have a saying that I've created for myself. Uh, as of last year, and this is a general statement, but my my general philosophy on life is: if it ain't fun, I ain't doing it. Amen. I hear greatness is easy. I hear, yeah. you know, that you're having fun, that you're on mission, even if you sort of kind of know what your mission might be in life. That yeah. this is a part of your mission. Yeah. No, I think it is, and it's it's been a lot of fun. I've had, uh, a, a, you know, we have released, I'll be releasing my seventh episode this Wednesday, uh, this Thursday. I've had multiple people text me and say, Hey, like the, the episode with uh, precious, for example, or Barbara, um, like it had me in tears. Like it really touched me and I'm inspired by what they've said. And so it's like, I'm, I'm also getting a chance to have Larry come on and Steve come on and all like the 80 some guests that I have ready to go on the show, but come on to share their stories. And I get to be, um, I get to be a, a Sherpa to bring your story to the world. And somebody's going to hear this and they're going to say, hey, you know what? I'm thinking about adopting a dog. Like, wow, it can make a difference for me to go and, and, and take a shelter dog. Or, um, you know, like Precious, my first episode, she was homeless and almost dead. And now she's a very accomplished public speaker. And people were inspired by that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Are you ready for a follow-up question? 
I'll take one follow-up question for you, Larry. Let's do it. If you have a mission in your life or in your career, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And I define mission as what's the change you want to see in the world? And what do you contribute to create that change you want to see in the world? Yeah. Um, oh, man. Just an easy one. My mission in the world. Just an, e- just an easy, light question at 10.30 p.m. And, uh, on this lovely Tuesday. <laughs> um, so I think the mission, and this, this is kind of also the question. And by the way, I can hear, I can hear Spider moving around behind you. Yeah, he's chewing on this uh, toy that I thought was going to get him to bark, but instead it just got him to chew. <laughs> he's, uh, he's loving the topic. So I think my mission is, if I had to summarize it, like whatever you want to do, it's, it is actually possible. Wow. That's what it is. It, it, it is actually possible. That's and what you want to create for the world. It is actually possible. So, and the reason that it's, it's so important to me and the reason I'm now, you know, do a full time, I have a full time coaching practice. I mean, I do a bunch of things, but that's one of the things I do for people and and coaching. We don't teach people that, but it's like standing for your clients and like, you say you want this thing. Guess what? It's possible because people have done it before you, people are going to do it after you. And so my mission is to have people believe in themselves so much that it's almost inevitable. Wow. 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 That touches my heart and soul. That feeds. Thanks, yeah. And I hope it feeds some of the folks who are here. Yeah. So, so I think what's, what's so cool about that, just to wrap on this one, and then I'm gonna put you back in the hot seat again, and I'm going <laughs> to fill up my drink. Is that, is that through... I feel very lubricated, baby. Exactly. So the fact that I get to meet with amazing clients and do coaching work with them around what they want to create in the world, coupled with this podcast and getting to share a little bit of me and a lot of my guests with the world equals a very like people-centered way to do it. <clears throat> and like I said, I was in sales, so that's a people-centered business, but you don't go deep in the relationship generally. I mean, yeah, yeah, you can, of course, if you have clients you become friends with and you become their partners, but we get to have an honest we get to have a, uh, a vulnerable, honest conversation about our actual inside. When I'm with, with clients, we get to have an honest, you know, human-to-human relationship about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I'm very, I'm very fortunate that I have actually been able to make this career transition and now get to do – and this podcast is not part of my business. It's something I do right now for fun and for fulfillment. It's, I, would, I don't call it quite a hobby because it's a little more serious for me than a hobby. Like I'm gonna do hundred episodes. I'm gonna do hundred episodes this year. I'm gonna publish hundred episodes this year. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. Um, but I would not call that a small hobby. <laughs> no, hundred episodes is not a hobby, man. Yeah. But um, so yeah, thank you for the question. So I guess that would well, be my thing for the I, audience. I don't I don't mean to denigrate hobby. Yeah. If it is a hobby, it is the world-class hobby of hobbies. I mean, this is right. like model train building a whole village hobby. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, thank you for that question, Larry. I've never shared that on here. So that's, uh, I hope the audience gets something out of that. And what's also fun about this is on each episode that I do, when people ask me a question, 
the audience gets to know a little bit more about me each time as well. So yeah, well, um, you you're an interesting cat, and um, <laughs> I'm as folks get to know you, I'm sure they will turn tune in even more and more. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. All right, enough with these feelings and vulnerability. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually going to ask you. you know, I'm you saw uh, what I did there. <laughs> oh, Larry! Larry's getting to me. All right. Um, so back to you. I've got a few more questions for you. If you have a little more time for us, of course I do. And there's no baseball game on because it's January, so you're good. What are you passionate about? Huh. Wow. Well, first I want to talk about passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a great article. I can't remember if it was in e- either it was an Inc. magazine online or Entrepreneur online. Um, but it, it said, oh, passion is overrated. What you really need is purpose. Yeah. Right? So, all right, fair enough. But I got to thinking, it's like, I'm a creative. I'm a professional creator. That's my job, is to create. And when I'm best at creating is when I come to creating with my passion. Right? Now. Passion is inherently wild. It's inherently, there's something inside the ego, in my judgment, and inside the, inside the id, you know, that is primal. So when I read this article about, oh, it's purpose, not passion, it got my hackles up. And I go, whoa, it's, you, you are not going to take my passion away from me. And so I really took a look at it. It's got, for me, at this point in my life, in this point in my career, it's got to have both. It's got to have purpose. And it's got to have passion. Meaning I've got to get be excited about getting up in the morning to do mm-hmm. stuff. That's... yeah. That's one description of, of passion. The, another description of passion for me is that there is some, I call it wildness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, one project that I'm developed that I don't have the time to develop, but I'm developing nonetheless, is about the wildness in creativity, which I call wild creativity. And it's, it's something that I'm developing. I'll, I'll develop it more next year in 2021. And it is, in a, let's take a look at dogs. There is the domesticated dog and mm-hmm. there's the wild wolf. So in wild creativity, I look at both that part that is domesticated, meaning organized. And wild, meaning individual, singular. And to be able to create from that something that will please me and please you, meaning sync with an audio. That's really important to me. So passion and purpose. I do have a mission statement. And as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, I participate in this men's organization called the Mankind Project that helps mm-hmm. men mentor men. 
I have a mission statement that I've evolved over the years that I've been in that. And that is my mission. That is my purpose. The, the change I want to see and how I contribute it are the two essentials of creating a mission statement in this construct. The change I want to see and how I participate in it. So my mission statement currently is I empower a creative world of abundant mastery by serving with ease and oh. playing well with you. Love it. That's my mission. Love it. Notice, Jason, there's no dogs in there. There is no dogs in there. That's right. I serve. I create. I empower. I am in a place of ease, which to me, I've just talked before about greatness is easy. Yeah. And it essentially, it's a place of flow. Yep. When we're in our greatness, man. We are on fire. We flow. Stuff comes easy. You know, like Derek Jeter, we flip that ball to <laughs> Jorge Barsani. He applies the tag because he's in the flow. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, Larry. That's awesome. Well, you are, you are naturally a very, uh, very purpose-driven and passionate person. Like spending time with you uh, in in. IRL, as the young ones say, in real life, you, like, you naturally exude, exude a lot of passion. And what I'm realizing now is it's the purpose you have that you exude that. You're somebody that you're like a very purpose-driven person. And so I like, I like that like passion. And I, I actually, I've actually seen references to that article as well. The mm. passion, it's like, it's like passion without purpose equals like you're what, you don't have what for. And you're what, and, and, or maybe your what for is actually not a positive thing. Like, well, I just want to make more money. I just want to be a title. I just want this. I just want this versus like, what's your actual what for behind it? And if it's a powerful what for, combine the two. Well, and, and listen, I respect people who are that way. Sure. Because um, I'm fortunate that I made it over. And, you know, frankly, I was born into a comfortable situation. I'm privileged just frankly by being white. Yeah. And so by being in that place, you know, I can, it gets me a, a step closer to pursuing my purpose. So to be yeah. driven is not easy. Yeah. Right? It takes, I mean, it takes having our, as Abraham Maslow, the psychologist said, our homeostatic needs being met, our survival needs being met, our social needs being met, our, our, our being our just fundamental being needs being met. And now we can pursue our ego needs and our self-actualization needs where we create something for the world. So I get that if I'm, you know, on an auto assembly line in Flint, Michigan, in Detroit, Michigan, or wherever they make automobiles still in the United States of America, Fremont, California, uh, it's going to be tough for me to meet those needs on the assembly lines. And so I've got to find a way to, you know, meet my needs elsewhere in my yeah. life. Now I've got a bifurcated life. Anyhow, we're, I'm getting off the rails and that's <laughs> tequila speaking. That happens. <laughs> well, that's perfect. And that's, yeah, that's what tequila does. But 
Well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing all that. So yeah. you've you've done you shared with us tonight. You've done a lot, right? You've 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 had a really great career. You've had multiple careers. Yeah, I call it zigzagging your way to success. You know, it's it's interesting. I interview a lot of people for this show, and almost everybody has had a zigzag career. I haven't had it, I haven't had anybody who's been like, well, uh, there is one person, our mutual good friend Steve Drum, but he was in the military. But even then, when you listen to the episode, which comes out in two days, here at the end of January, even he, like he took a he took a run at being a Navy SEAL the first time and didn't and didn't make it. Oh, I didn't know that. I can't wait to hear Yeah, you yeah, you'll hear the story. And then he had to go back again. But even for, you know, like, but he's military, so it's a little bit different when you actually have to commit to something. But most everybody else, like Michael Hudson, Barbara Churchill, um, you know, a lot of mutual friends, we know, like, almost nobody was like, yeah, I got out of college, and then I did this thing. And then 25 years later, I was still doing this thing and really successful. Right. I think that's a very normal thing. Because you, I think you just, you self, as you get older, you self-actualize on what you actually, what's your actual purpose for being here. And for most of us, I know for me, like I had, you know, just a, a little bit more about me back to your question. Like mm-hmm. I like sales. I like working in sales. I worked with really great people. I worked at cool companies. I made good money. Like I had a lot of success. But I don't, I don't, um, it's all good. Like I don't, I don't look back and be like, oh, I should have done something else sooner. It's just, it's not the thing for me at this point in my life. Someday <clears throat> I maybe like to start my own company and maybe oh, I'll cool. go back and do a sales. But it's, it's, I like the zigzag actually. I think it's fun. Yeah, well, go, you know, going back to Maslow, you know, sales met your homeostatic needs. You needed to eat, you know, and um, uh, and the other thing that in sales that met your higher needs, your self actualization, maybe your ego needs. Oh God, yeah. That it, uh, it that it fed you because you know you taught you told me earlier in the Myers is it Myers Briggs or Briggs Myers uh, Myers Briggs in the Myers Briggs. That you, uh, you know, you're 98%? 98% extrovert. Good yep. Lord. Yeah. It's uh, a little overwhelming for most people. <laughs> you know, so, so it fed you big time. Oh, God, yeah. And now I'm feeding it by being a podcast host. Right on. Right on. <laughs> uh, so, Larry, the question I'm going to ask you that I was getting yeah. to when I, got, when yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I took you, I, I I took you off the rails. I interrupted you while you were asking the question. That's a, that's how Erra Dura Silva Ultra I uh, Tequila Añejo I am. I love <laughs> it. I love it. What's the thing that you're most proud of? Wow. Wow. The first thing that came up, and so I'm going to go with that. Uh, I became an Eagle Scout. Um, and I carry that with me today. Um, in my teenage years, when I easily could have gone off the rails, easily, I mean, my friends were juvenile delinquents. I mean, guys who were literally in prison. I mean, not jail, prison. Yeah. My father, he guided me into a really cool Boy Scout troop. We were in a, I was in, we, he and I. We were in our crappy Boy Scout troop, and um, he thought, well, I don't want him hanging around these juvenile delinquents. So he got me into this really cool Boy Scout troop where the Scoutmaster was 
His nickname was Mr. Gizmo. <laughs> Miss, yeah, his, rich, his real name, well, his birth name was Richard Getzloff. He was born in Ohio. May he rest in peace. And um, he, his nickname that he got in the service in World War II was Mr. Gizmo. Now, he was an interesting cat. He was a Marine in World War II. Mm-hmm. Professionally, he was a photographer and graphic designer. So he's an artist and he was a soldier. Combine those two. The soldier wow, yeah. has accountability, has um, obedience, get in line. It's about the team more than about me. There's no I in team. The artist is wild creativity that we talked about before. Yeah. Combine those two for a kid like me to be in the presence of that mentor was transformative. Yeah. And yet, while I was a teenager, I did not know that I was being transformed because it happened imperceptibly, bit by bit, where these initially seemingly impossible high expectations suddenly became just the way we do things. I meet them every week. We had a motto in our troop. We do a good turn twice every day. Mm -hmm. You know, the scout slogan is do a good turn daily. Our slogan was do a good turn twice every day. Overachievers. (laughs) My shadow is imperfection, you know, that I must perfect, 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 and it's overworking. Yeah. So um, anyhow, I became an Eagle Scout, and um, it, I don't believe it would have happened without him. And I have had a number of people remark to me, what a good leader I am. Mm-hmm. And when I was younger, I kind of shrugged it off. As a, like, it's like, oh, doesn't everybody do that? And now I've begun to respect that the experience I had in scouting, particularly Mr. Gizmo, that it would help me to integrate those two aspects of my life, the Marine and the artist, the producer and the writer. Nice. The The doer and the art. The doing and the art. Yeah. Right. The creator and the actualizer. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, Larry. So, um, yeah, so that's the prep. That's the thing. Nice. That's, yeah. that's, that's amazing. That was very unexpected. <laughs> I learned something else fascinating about you. I had no idea. So uh, wrapping up here, we've got a couple more questions for you. And I think this one you'll right. be okay with. Is this, you're a light, is this lightning round or are we expounding here? Uh, no, we're, we're doing whatever you'd like. We're good. Okay. We're not, we're not on network television. We don't, this is a Netflix show. We can have it be as long as we want. This is not a, we don't, we're not going on commercial break. We don't have to fit anything in. We're not at 28 minutes and 40 seconds. Exactly. We're not at, we're not at 28 minutes and 40 seconds. Okay. If Netflix would like to pick this up or a network television show would like to pick this up, then we can talk about that. 
And right now, <laughs> it's my show, and I can do whatever the F I want. So Right. And by the way, 2840 is PBS. 22-something is, uh, is uh, commercial television. Oh, like sitcom. Yeah, like sitcom stuff. Yeah. Um, yes. So question for you yeah. about a little bit vulnerable, but that's okay. I think you've yeah. had enough tequila now where this should be okay with you. And plus, I'm socially <laughs> literate from my work in the Mankind Project. Exactly, in the Mankind Project. Exactly. So what's something that you were afraid might actually be true about you? Yeah, well, that's too personal, Jason. I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> what's something I fear that, that uh, might be true about me? Yeah. What's something you were afraid might actually be true about you? Something I'm, I, I, I'm afraid is, well, one of my negative conversations or one of my unanswerable sentences is, or, or unanswerable questions is, when am I going to get there? Mm. And well, if, you, if I think about that question, when am I going to get there? That always puts me in the future. And in, in the future, in that construct for me, that's about doing more than about being in this moment with you in this yeah. moment. So it's more about doing for something like the future is more important than the, than the now, right? Yeah. So when am I going to get there? My fear in that is that I'm not going to get there. Mm. Well, dude, well, dude, check it out. I'm not going to get there because the there is always going to be someplace that's out of reach. Right. Right. If I keep that question intact, I'm never going to get there because if I'm always asking the question, I'm never going to get there. Right. I'm and, then you're, and you'll never be perfect. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if you're a fan of calculus, but in the not fact, at uh, all. No, <laughs> I hate math. Calculus. Calculus is about regression and never about getting there, but always about, re- in some aspect, about reducing those margins that aren't quite there to getting there. And you're never going to reduce it because you're always going to be able to take a finer and finer razor blade and split what's next, sure. what's left, until you get there, and you're never going to get there. Sure. So that, um, and by the way, I've, got, I've just got to say, um, when I told my sister, uh, Leslie Kay, who's a uh, uh, professor of neuroscience at uh, University of Chicago, I told her I was going to be on your podcast. Yeah. And that we were going to drink and that I was going to drink tequila. She's, she said, um, quote, this is from Herodotus, the Greek uh, thinker, and uh, she uh, got her undergraduate degree at St. John's College that went to Herodotus and Socrates and Plato, sure. you know, all of those way back when dudes. Yeah. So not just for battle plans, she's, Herodotus said, quote, if an important decision is to be made, they discuss the question when they are drunk. <laughs> And the following day, the master of the house, where the discussion was held, submits their decision for reconsideration when they are sober. If they still I like it, it, it is adopted. If not, it is abandoned. Conversely, 
any decision they make when they are sober is reconsidered afternoon afterwards when they are drunk. I love it. That's amazing. Uh, unquote. <laughs> Thank you, Larry's sister, for that quote. That's amazing. And Herodotus. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Larry. And um, we're going to wrap up for the evening. But before we do that, you, uh, you alluded to something earlier. Now, you've been very humble on the show. And I'd like to, I'd like to celebrate your greatness for a little bit. Are you okay with that? Thank you. Yes. Yes. I, so, yeah, you're a, you're, so you are a... So you had mentioned you have a, a Facebook community of over 2 million, two million uh, raving fans who pay attention to your content. I think you put out content almost every day yeah. around dog. That, um, so the brand is Positively Woof. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> we'll put this in the show notes. But if you also just want to, uh, what I'm looking for here is where can the audience find you? And before we do that, I also want to just uh, you know, thank you and let the audience know You've written now, is it four books you've written? Uh, three books. Number four is in process. Yeah. And, and, and you are like a best-selling dog trick book author. It's not like you're not an author who's got a, a, a free Kindle book. These are books, if you go on, they're on the charts. Like they're, you're a, you're a uh, I don't like to use the word famous or talk about celebrities, but you're, you're the real deal in this space who makes a real difference in this, in the dog training and saving dogs life space. And, um, you know, your books are all available. Like you go to the bookstore and buy them. You can buy them at, on Amazon, et cetera. Definitely on Amazon. Uh, not so much, uh, in uh, bookstores, sadly, I would love it if they were bookstores. Maybe if we get our team, when we get our TV show, Jason, it yeah. will be more ubiquitous in, in, in bookstores. But, um, yes, thank, thank you for saying that. Um, uh-huh. if I may add one brag, that I'm Please. happy Please. about is that my publisher came to me to write the dog tricks book because my dog training book became the number one bestseller on Amazon. Yeah. Wow. And this is over books that have TV shows. And so I'm grateful to my social media community at Positively Woof for giving me the opportunity to be able to write. What is, I believe, my opus, this dog tricks book. Thank you. Yeah. Very cool, Larry. So where else can the audience connect with you? So you've got Positively Wolf, which we'll add to the show notes. Where else can they connect with you if they want to get to know you more, see what you're up to, and all that good stuff? Well, the the simple thing is that Positively Wolf. I mean, you know, from there, all paths will lead out to all the, you know, hopefully to you, cool things that uh, we're involved in. And I'm, I'm excited that in 2020, we're evolving Positively Woof into an innovation incubator. Oh, just that phrase excites the hell out of me and just That's cool. lights up my passion and my purpose. Yeah, very cool, Larry. And the other thing I just want to mention is Larry is also a very accomplished speaker. So um, I know that you've, I think I've saw on social media that you were speaking, you speak at um, like pet conventions and uh, any other stages that you're going to be on here in the next year or so? People can maybe see you on it. At the end of February, 2020, I'm going to, Spider doesn't get to go with me. I'm going to Mexico City. I'm going to be at a uh, international conference on animal hate behavior 
Sica, C-I-C-A hyphen congresso.com. And you can find me there. I can't wait. I'm doing a 90-minute keynote on uh, trick training and movie making with dogs. And I'm also doing a two-hour workshop on the same subject. I am so excited. Yeah. And then, Very cool. uh, and then I have some other uh, keynotes that are uh, booked and in progress. And we also just finished up uh, more than 50 performances at the California Science Center's Dogs uh, exhibition that's now Very traveling cool. to Boston. Yeah, there's going to be there, I think, in April. Yeah. That's very cool. Very cool, Larry. Well, I want to congratulate you on all the amazing stuff that you're up to, the speaking, the books. Uh, I also want to congratulate Spider, who I believe is there near you. He is right uh, literally underneath my foot, chewing on the same chew toy. Exactly. Yeah. Last game to him. Yeah. Spider, we know you're listening. Congratulations to all you're up to as well. And being and being the thing that being the attraction that people actually want to see, let's be clear. Amen. People, people, uh, people uh, you know, show up for Spider, right? And, then, and they're like, yeah, I guess this Larry guy's okay, but Spider, score here for Spider. The, the, the uh, late, uh, you know, 1930s comic, uh, W.C. Fields, anybody yep. who hates dogs and kids can't be all bad. So I've worked with both dogs and kids. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. so, so I also want to thank you for your friendship, for being a mentor to me. Um, for all the work that you do, and uh, I, you know, I can't wait to continue to see what you do in your with your uh, your things. Thanks for having some drinks together tonight. It's been a lot of fun. And as the last, and as the last uh, tradition I have on the show, yes, I'd love if you would leave me selfishly and everybody listening with words of wisdom. And I've got a caveat for you: the words of wisdom need to fit on a post-it note. They got to be short and sweet. So, Larry, what do you want to leave us with tonight? I'm going to go with greatness is easy. If greatness is easy. In, yeah. If you're in your passion and purpose, you can't help but be great. Oh, there it is. It's easy. So if you stay in your passion, if you stay in your purpose and you do the hard work, you're going to be great. That's it, Larry. I love that. Well, thank you again for being on. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure. And I will talk to you soon. You bet. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking to Cool People with me, Jason Frizzell. Enjoyed today's episode? Please tell your friends, give us a shout out and a follow on Facebook and Instagram, and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. If something from this episode has piqued your interest and you'd like to connect about it, please email us at podcast at jasonfrizzell.com. We love hearing from our listeners. <laughs>